Hi, everyone, and welcome to Location is Everything, Tango's podcast about all things retail real estate. Recently, we held our annual Locations Everything Summit, which was chock full of great roundtable discussions and presentations from retailers and other industry leaders that explored the shifting post-COVID consumer and the resulting impact on the retail and restaurant business model, with a specific focus on the brick and mortar side of the business. We've packaged some of the best sessions as podcasts for those who are more on the go. If you're interested in listening or watching additional sessions, check out this episode show notes for details. Enjoy. have a great panel of real estate experts here and, and retail experts. I've learned long ago not to attempt to do introductions myself. I tend to somehow mess something up. So why don't we just go left to right? Maybe Matt, start with you. You can give us a little background on the company, your role, and the portfolio. Yeah, great. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Matt Rose. I'm the director of corporate real estate for Calaris. Um, we rebranded about five or so years ago. We used to be Brown Shoe Group. Um, we're about a $2 billion wholesaler retailer. And we, um, as far as brick and mortar goes, we operate under um, four banners, Naturalizer, Famous Footwear, Allen Edmonds, and Sam Edelman. Um, we've got about a thousand stores strong right now and um, looking to expand. So uh, what me and my team do, we focus uh, on, on, a, on a variety of things. We actually, uh, we obviously do the demographics, the new site selection, the analytics. Um, we also do a little bit of FP&A. So we're always doing um, P&L work, uh, market optimization work. And then we also, um, we, we have the lease admin, lease audit team. So we actually pay the landlords all the bills. So. Um, there's always a lot going on and it's exciting and, and every day there's a new adventure and it keeps us on his toes and, and we like it and we're, we're really thriving um, right now post pandemic and hope to continue to do so. Yeah, nothing like a pandemic to mix things up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce, why don't you uh, fill us in on Loblaws, your role and everything else? Oh, thanks, Bart. And, uh, you know, similar to what Matt just mentioned, uh, so with respect to the responsibilities and the roles. Uh, so my name is Bruce Mooney. I'm a VP at Loblaw Companies in the real estate department. Uh, Loblaw Companies is Canada's largest retailer with uh, over $50 billion in sales. We have 2,350 stores. We have supermarkets, drugstores, and uh, an apparel business. A little bit of a liquor business as well. We uh, are ch constantly challenged with network optimization. We work very closely with our real estate investment trust partners over at Choice Properties, who are key to our uh, growth and sustainability of our, our business. And really, as we've gone through this, and I think similar to what uh, Doug and Matt will find in, in their experiences, just managing consumer change and the desire for people to, you know, how they're shopping moving forward, what they're shopping for in the basket. So I look forward to the conversation today. Thanks for asking me to join Bart. Yeah, thanks Bruce. And Doug. Yes, so I lie awake at night wondering what Matt and Bruce are lying awake at night thinking about, right? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm the consultant, the service provider and just you know trying to help clients crack the code on what the future looks like. And, you know, that has many different layers, um, you know, a, a reimagined footprint. You know, we, we hear, we're hearing about reimagined workplace on the office side. Well, retail has been thinking about this for, for several years now with uh, really the, the, you know, online shift um, happening, 
happening more and more aggressively. So what does that look like and how do I go from point A to point B? Um, I've got a background in architecture, licensed real estate broker. Um, but you know, I, I think the most important thing um, to bring to our clients is helping them evaluate scenarios and, and make a decision. And, and ultimately that's what we, uh, we try and bring to, to folks like Matt and Bruce. Thank you. Makes perfect sense. Okay, I'm gonna stop sharing and we'll go to the real deal. Be able to figure that out and the audience can kind of see what they're here for which is you guys all right so uh thanks for the background um i think i'd like to dive a little bit deeper to start out to talk about some of the themes that are going on in your respective businesses i know that the industry segments uh, are different um i think in some of our discussions prior to uh the uh, round table here that kind of came out so i think that'll be a very interesting uh, counterpoint between the both Bruce and Matt as it relates to both geography and industry segment and things such as that. And Doug, obviously, you've got a broad perspective across a number of clients. So why don't we first start, uh, Bruce, give us a little bit more detailed on kind of some of the main themes in the grocery and drug business that, that you guys are dealing with. I think the first theme to call out in our business, Bart, is, is that we're a non-discretionary spend, right? So when you look at consumer behavior, people have to eat and they have to get their healthcare products. So when, you know, when we've spoken, uh, Matt and I in the past, and we say it's a different realm. So I'm super curious about, you know, his observations and where, where his business has gone and been challenged by COVID. But our themes are to make sure that, you know, COVID has been a tremendous amount of time for the entire supermarket business and the drugstore business because of a surge in sales due to the closure of restaurants and basically the you know the closure of amenities and people have gone back to basics so many people have gone to cooking more obviously to cook more at home uh, scratch cooking and some trends that uh, emerged at the start of the pandemic and many people walked down the pasta aisle for example in any supermarket anywhere in the world and suddenly there's not as much pasta available anymore people tend to get on on those sort of trends our big question like everybody's in the retail industry would be so how much of this sticks will people rebound back entirely to the pre-pandemic behavior retail behavior that they had in our sector uh, or will there could there be a rebound as people want to get out to restaurants more and that could have a you know a positive impact on a, a very uh, you know impacted business but or well how much of it will stick that oh you know what we seem to have a little more money. Some people do uh, with respect to eating at home more often. So that's been a nice little thing to have. And so we'll, how will that those behaviors um, stick? And the reason why that's super important to us is it obviously impacts our performance of our retail offerings, right? And uh, if, if we're going to remain at the current levels, that impacts supply chain and impacts all those things that retailers try to optimize when our year-over-year year growth had always been, you know, 1%, 2%, suddenly you go to 15, and there's all kinds of adjustments you need to make to do that. But then, um, you know, what what will it return to? So, you know, I'm super curious, and there's a lot of research out there about, you know, K recovery or a M, or, you know, there's all kinds of different or ideas about how we will come out of all of this. Uh, we're watching them all, and we do have the real-time uh, data to see. Uh, what's going on so yeah, and you've experienced the grocery business in particular kind of a bit of a boomerang effect now like yeah. it's anywhere but home now right so the people going to the restaurants they're they're not working on the home improvement and other things like that so i think you've been through a lot of more ups and downs maybe than some of the other sectors out there 
correct, certainly the up when others went down and now the reverse uh, appears to be happening in certain markets. So let's keep, keep it going from there. Matt, how about you? What is, uh, what's the driving factors now that you guys are focused on? Uh, I think a lot of it um, is focused on omni-channel, you know, the, the good key buzzword, if you will. Um, we were, uh, we're initially about a thousand store uh, portfolio. Um, we were kind of pruning it, uh, looking at some of our deals, looking at our markets again, trying to optimize, saying, hey, maybe it's a five store market. We can knock it down to four. Um, but uh, since um, since pandemic, we, we essentially shut down business for upwards of two months for all thousand stores. And unfortunately, um, upwards of three months for, for, for probably, you know, a majority of our stores. And one thing that we realized, we always knew that, um, you know, online was a big piece. Uh, but once our stores started becoming somewhat of many fulfillment centers, if you will, curbside pickup, um, that, that, that business has really skyrocketed since the pandemic. Um, so it's kind of forced us to rethink, hey, you know, maybe maybe a thousand stores or, or whatever the sweet number is, is, is the way to go. Um, another thing, um, kind of similar to what Bruce said, uh, we're, we're obviously, we're in the footwear business, so it's not as important as nutrition, but uh, most people need shoes on their feet for the most part. And this is a, uh, we kind of feel like this is a product that, that she likes to feel, touch, try on. Um, and, and so we're, we're really, again, thinking more strongly of, of, of expansion or if not at least um, staying in place, relowing or relocating um, in, in the centers we're at, uh, or I'm sorry, in the cities that we're at um, and, and just have a overall better customer experience for her. And then lastly, unfortunately, um, with the pandemic, um, I had mentioned, you know, our four brands and, you know, it's, it's kind of had us, um, we've had to reevaluate our, our product offering because no longer uh, as much anymore are there people wearing, um, you know, dress shoes to go to work. We're, uh, everybody's wearing workout shoes, athleisure, things of that nature. Um, so it's, it's got our, our sourcing team and our buying teams almost reevaluating their entire uh, process. And may or may not have flip-flops on right now, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, that, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And Doug, you obviously have a, a broader perspective. What, if, what are you seeing um, kind of driving most of your clients right now in this environment? Well, I mean, the, the first ask is help us get out of that lease, you know, yeah. or, or help us, how can we save money? Um, you know, and, and you, you probe into that a little bit further and it, and it's, you know, to some of these, these points around, uh, Bruce talking about behaviors and, and Matt talking about, you know, this, this change in what the store really is about fulfillment centers. Um, so when, when you say, when a client says, you know, help me save rent or help me get out of some of these stores, um, we're not going to be very successful just, you know, bringing a machete to a gunfight and, and going after it one by one with landlords. And, and, it, and it's, it's building that vision of what the business needs to be as, as, as corny as it sounds, the, the business requirements, the vision, the future. Um, you know, once our clients have that, they can start to see a, a five-year plan and then, and then play with the real estate incrementally on how to get there. That's when we're informed. Um, you know, the most important, powerful weapon in that negotiation is you knowing what you're going to do. But unfortunately, it, 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 it does feel like we have to un, unglue some of this 
one-at-a-time least behavior types of, of um, asks. Um, you know, it's, it's classic bundling, really, but it, it's doing that armed with a lot more insight about what the customer is going to be in the future. And then, you know, frankly, even, you know, the, the, the richness of data available, you know, econometrics um, and forecasting and, and predicting and, you know, even, you know, that the, the, the competitor landscape that, you know, the, the, the availability of that data, when you can pull that in, then you've got a really good negotiation strategy that you, that, that you can implement. So that's what we're helping our clients with quite a bit. That makes sense. Um, and I, I assume that, you know, for all of you, um, to varying degrees, the store location, you know, urban, rural, suburban, uh, is having an impact on your businesses. So wh what can you say about kind of that, that change? Obviously, central business districts and the return to work, we just had a summit last month about that. A lot of companies are targeting um, a hybrid environment where you don't have to come in every day, likely after the Labor Day holiday here in the States. What, how is that dynamic of daytime pop and other things and, and location from rural to suburban to, to downtown central business district affected your business through the pandemic? Bruce, why don't we we'll start with you? I know you guys have a yeah. CBD. We do have a healthy CBD portfolio, especially of our drugstore business, the shoppers drug markets business, you know, businesses in uh, the downtown of every Canadian city. So uh, it's certainly been impacted. And if you, you know, if we're going to gauge our future economics on the current performance, then that that would be a challenge, and we would be seeking, you know, seeking assistance out from from you know third parties like Doug to to set the plan in place on what the the future of the central business district is. Right now, we're still in a wait and see mode. Now we're we, we're in uh, in lockdown longer in Canada than the United States has uh, overall. So just coming out of it now in the major markets, and it, it's really. Uh, we need to see where this all lands in the, in the fall. After you mentioned Labor Day, it's really the uh, change point, if you will. No one wants to go downtown in the summer anyways, in Toronto or in Chicago. It's not where you want to spend your time even in a normal year. Uh, that we, we will certainly be watching then to start to make any sort of strategic moves. But on the flip of that, though, our stores that are in, uh, we call them uh, satellite communities, or those communities that are an hour or two hours away from the big cities, have seen significant increases in sales as the population has moved out. That's been a common phenomenon across North America and across much of Europe as well. And are those, you know, people have, have sold their residences and they've moved out there. That's a permanent move in, in most cases, right? And so we do expect the, the growth to continue in those amenity uh, driven locations where, yeah, there's a reason why you want to stay. There's a lake, there's uh, arts, there's uh, some other reason for you to go and stay and work there. And we often have, do already have uh, assets in those locations that we have seen an increase in sales on. And we uh, hope that a lot of that sticks. The one, the one key thing, if you look at the big macro trends that are occurring in Canada and the US, the, the one is the urbanization will continue especially here, and there will be uh, significant, and there are significant developments that were, have been announced during the course of the pandemic uh, by major developers in all of the big cities. And, uh, you know, we need to make sure we still have a role in those developments. The footprints may be different, 
you know, to, to, to the points that Matt has made, you know, what is our presence? What does it look like from a size wise and, uh, you know, and a banner that's going to be where we're looking very closely at what our right offering is in those locations. But to answer your question, we do want to be there in, in a physical retail form. Doug, how about you um, with, with your clients? How are you seeing the rural suburban CBD equation working for companies that have a portfolio covering those areas or maybe one that's uh, a little disproportionately in one versus the other? I mean, it's 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 migrating. Uh, it's funny, we were, we were talking before you got on and, and just how <laughs> rural homes are booming, right? Um, and, and yet the, the retail, um, rural uh, trend, you know, it, it, it's lagged a little bit and I think it's going to catch up. Um, suburban, absolutely. But what I've seen is it, you know, it's not driving by and, and uh, on your on your route to running an errand, right? There, there is a little bit more of a tendency to go to a place, you know, even the, the mall, right? The outdoor mall, especially um, is, is taking a little bit of a um, you know, benefit from from what's going on with opening up um, the the town center concept, right? That really blossomed uh, six, seven, eight years ago, and and has continued. I'm seeing that as 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 being a uh, you know a home run for for retail as well too. Um, urban, you know, people are getting ready, um, but it, it it's it's still suffering, and and you know I think part of the reason is as people go into work, they're you know they've they've gotten most of that accomplished when they're in the when they're at their home four days a week, right? So it's it's not as urgent because they're just not spending as much time down there. Um, you know, for for me, it's it's like inside the walls right that is that is the thing that is changing the most almost more than location um i buy i'm biased a little bit because you know i do love um architecture and i i think that has a profound impact on experience and and process you know even you know what the customer does within that and and you know infusing of course digital right so it's it's that shift of you know the, the, or call it an agile format you know to me that's that's where i'm seeing the consumer um shift to i i do like um matt you know again the fulfillment concept right and, and i haven't seen a lot of the architectural changes to support that necessarily um but this you know this idea of agile and you know studying what what people are actually doing that's where people want to go retailers are having a hard time um getting there because they're stuck in leases and oh by the way that costs a lot of capital to to, to get to that but when we have done the studies even before covid i mean the, the shift to a kind of more experiential and even you know kind of more um efficient um layout where where products are experienced and you don't need necessarily the product on the floor um you know that's that's what i'm seeing the shift inside the walls is, is really where I noticed the biggest difference. Yep. And I, I want to drill in a minute, drill into the, to the kind of change of the store format and you know, what's driving that and how are people reacting. Before we do that, Matt, from a geographic perspective or from a real estate uh, type, uh, you know, whether it's inline mall based, freestanding, I don't know if you guys have any freestanding, probably not, but um, or geography, uh, urban, rural, CBD, what 
what kind of nuances are you seeing across those dynamics? It, it's almost exactly what Bruce and Doug just hit on. Um, you know, the rural areas, they seem to be thriving right now. I mean, we're actually seeing store for store pops um, that are pretty phenomenal. And, and, and uh, again, you know, some of the folks are probably staying at home, not going downtown shopping anymore. So they're, they're buying, you know, to your point, um, locally. Um, our downtown or our CBDs, they're, they're taking quite a hit, as, as one could probably imagine, because a lot of folks are still yet to go back to work or, or go back to work full time. Um, a lot of those locations are in uh, business districts, obviously. And again, um, those shoes just aren't selling for us. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a tough, it's tough uh, road to hoe. Um, touristy outlets, again, obviously, you know, kind of struggling. Um, I mean, who's, you know, nobody's, nobody's tour. Well, well they're, they're starting to, but they haven't been, um, you know, vacationing. Um, but, uh, and then as far as regional, um, just kind of, you know, the south, southeast Sun Belt, if you will. Um, we're seeing pretty good growth down there as well. It seems like a lot of folks are migrating and, and living down there uh, permanently um, as they've gotten away from, you know, the coasts or, or downtowns and realizing, hey, we can we can work remotely and go kind of somewhere where it's nice, de decent climate. Um, so our stores down there are seeing some nice positive lifts. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you were in the keynote, we had some data showing kind of disparity or uneven, uneven nature of the rebound where the younger and more affluent um, are rebounding more than the um, uh, than the lower income ones. And, you, you know, on the rural area, how that dynamic plays, but it's being counterbalanced by the migration of more affluent to, to rural areas. So uh, maybe it's all going to be a wash at the end of the day. <laughs> it is quite interesting. Um, okay, so let's dig in a little bit more on omni-channel. Uh, it sounds like a big part of what's going on with you, Matt, and, and from the shoe business. And, and obviously, Bruce, um, you know, prepared foods and delivery and pickup uh, has become a major thing. I know the problem that all retailers are facing uh, is that the margins in some of those channels are not uh, the same as what you get on an in-store, but they're a reality and a growing part of the business. So. Let's maybe start on the grocery side, uh, Bruce, and why don't you take us through the dynamic of pickup, uh, curbside delivery, and that uh, on your business. Absolutely. It's uh, exploded, as you'd expect, and uh, every food retailer across the world has uh, experienced a significant increase in their e-commerce penetration. If they had something set up, it, it basically ballooned to the point of breaking. If they hadn't set up anything, they scrambled to get something done. So. Uh, again, it's it's we went from uh, penetration rates in Canada an average of four, five, six percent, which is well behind where the U.S. and the U.K. are, to you know fourteen, fifteen percent, uh, which which puts you know a tripling of the uh, e-commerce sales through, and you're talking about a lot of volume here too, right? Uh, not just a uh, percentage increase, but also large dollar volumes, large product volumes moving through our uh, digital channels. Uh, people looked at that as a lifesaver in many ways. It's a convenience, time saver, safety factor uh, more than um, any other reason in the supermarket space, right? Because to go, it was the one place people would go and see more than a couple of other people. And so there's a bit of risk associated with that initially, especially now it's settled down a, a lot. The, the dynamics of having 
you know, your staff doing something now that your customer used to do for free is the one thing that impacts all retailers. So you've got to either set up a major capital investment with a central fulfillment center, which can be huge capital investments on infrastructure and fleets, or the bit by bit labor investment infrastructure on a store pick. And no one's got it entirely figured out just yet. Do you do the fulfillment at store level and take advantage of say surplus or excess labor hours? Or do you do the big investment and have regional distribution centers for that? So in every sector, we're seeing all methodologies applied. There's no clear winner just yet. Um, but uh, you know, in our sector, which lags behind other e-commerce sectors. So obviously the book market impacted first, the uh, more, the less experiential type of retail are well ahead of the supermarket and drug space with respect to their e-commerce penetrations. Um, but we've got the, uh, the ability to watch that and learn from it about what customers are looking for. But, uh, you know, the challenges of delivering a triple temperature order to somebody creates another level of complexity, right? You can't put the ice cream in with the bread. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, those are the unique challenges to the sector that we're in. Uh, we're all trying different things in all the retailers across the supermarket space in North America and in Western Europe. Uh, and, and so let's see how this all lands. Uh, the PL, there, there's some good research that's been done by IGD, which is a in, you know, industry uh, um, advisory uh, consultancy that uh, shows you know there, there's nothing creative about the e-commerce business in the supermarket space. It's not. It's just how how less dilutive can you make your option be? That's where we're all focusing in on right now. Yeah, because in other some other sectors it is creative. Like you can see a bump in the e-commerce by the physical store and vice versa. So interesting. Well, the one thing I'd be curious from my colleagues here is, you know, the, the presence of brand on the street and what your opinions are on that with respect to, okay, you can't just go into a market necessarily with an e-commerce presence. Some some online pure play retailers do. But what are your perceptions of having a brick and mortar, you know, a sign on Main Street, if you will, from the, my, my colleagues here? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one if you don't mind, Doug, or I'll lead off. Um, we uh, we unfortunately had uh, to make the unpleasant decision to actually shutter our naturalizer stores, um, which they were over a you know a hundred year brand, pretty iconic. Um, most folks knew uh, who Naturalizer was, or you know, un unfortunately that demographic kind of started um, straying from us. So there had been talk for years to potentially um, wind it down and and. And, and the pandemic pretty much made the, the decision for us. Um, we thought that we could, you know, address some of those sales online. And, and what we're seeing initially early on is um, it, it, it feels like as, as, as you no longer have those stores down the corner, um, you kind of lose sight of the brand as well. And, and our online sales have actually kind of taken a turn for the worse, unfortunately. If I could interject before Doug goes here, I mean, I don't know if you saw that it's the Gap that announced they're closing all their UK locations. And, wow. and that's a significant change. They'll likely see the same impact you're talking about, though, Matt. Yeah. And, and they they believe, and this is me reading, not sharing intimate details, but, uh, you know, they believe that that will, they'll be okay for a while. You know, it's, um, it's like uh, eating farm-raised trout, I call it, you know, 
feels good, you know, eventually the, the nutrition may just not be there for the consumer and, you know, they'll lose out on those sales. But, um, you know, it, it, the, the belief is with a, a brand already with presence, you, you'll, you'll be okay for a while. It's, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> starting a job, uh, virtually, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to get, to get started, to build your brand and collaborate and learn those, um, those working, um, ways together. Um, you know, for, for, for what I see it, it's, it's still having that, that presence, you know, it's just, how do you, how do you shift that? Is it, is it signage, you know, physical signage? Is it, is it, is it billboards maybe, but you know, it's, it's, it's probably getting those eyeballs, um, through, through other means, social media and, and that type of thing to, to at least, you know, have that, that brand presence in, in one way or another, but it's, it is very tough. Um, Matt, I keep going back to, you know, this, it's a place to go for, for fulfillment, for picking up stuff and, and for returning, you know, three times more than you, you need. I, I mean, that's, that's what we're seeing too, is this, this trend and now I'm back to Omnichannel a little bit, but the, the trend, mm -hmm. to, you know, buy a bunch of stuff online and, and, you know, intend on returning three out of four, you're going to keep the one that you want, which has a huge, huge cost. Mm -hmm. um, and, and frankly, you know, we're not seeing a lot of, an, but some, let me say it differently. Some retailers are figuring out how to crack the code on making the physical in-store experience an encouragement to, to then buy things online. You know, frankly, you go into a, a grocery store, you go into a, a clothing store and it is really hard. It's almost discouraged to then make that purchase online, even, you know, within, within your, 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 your brand, right. Same, same purchase. It's not made easier. Right. So, um, there are retailers that are saying, Hey, let's, even though they're in the store, let's make it super easy for them to order something online rather than just here in, 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 in person. Um, that's what companies are focused on and, and vice versa, you know, when they're online, you know, figuring out ways to, to then encourage them to, to go back into the store An avatar is, is kind of a perfect example. And, and there are some clothing companies again, who have figured out, you know, what is the physical avatar of this person and, and they need to go in the store and maybe get measured. Um, this way, when they go and, and they go online, they're going to have a, a much higher degree of confidence that they should get the, the medium, not the small, medium and large and figuring out once it gets there as well, too. That makes sense. Um, and Matt, you had said that the Omnichannel has been a kind of a boom for you. Um, you don't, I guess, you know, it's a box of shoes, so you don't have to have much free temperature levels like this. But that said, it's, it sounds simple, but it's not. You know, almost to a T, every retailer I talk to is struggling with the operation logistics and, and uh, handling of the uptick in, in pickup and in uh, delivery. So uh, what are some of the challenges you're facing as that has become a bigger part of your your business? Yeah, I mean, obviously the margins, um, you know, that's unfortunately one of the first things that we look at, or, or maybe not unfortunately. Um, you know, it's got us reevaluating our staffing models, um, you know, because we have our staff in store. And first and foremost, they're worried about addressing that customer when she's in our box. This is the reason why we'll end up back in the office, you know. 
um, trying to help her assist her. You know, a lot of times they, they get these, you know, it, it kind of falls wayside. Yeah. <laughs> can nobody hear me? Yeah, we can, can hear you now. Hear me? A little bit in and out. Okay. Okay. I'm yeah. Problems. Sorry about that, guys. Um, now we're, we're having a lot of, uh, not, not a lot, but, um, you know, some, some, we're reevaluating our staffing uh, models uh, because, you know, we, we, when, when there's, when we have a customer in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in our store, you know, our, that's our first and, and foremost. Yeah. Might help Matt if you maybe uh, kill video for a little bit and that'll save you some bandwidth. And while you're doing that, I'll, I'll transition over to Bruce. Uh, Bruce, if you could talk to a little bit about kind of operationally, logistically, how is the pickup uh, and delivery business thrown a curveball your way? Uh, a couple of things. One of them is the labor. To, we had to hire a lot of people right off the bat to fulfill orders, and uh, everybody did that. So, and then to reshape our stores to be able to meet the demand of fulfillment. And so, we've done a couple of pilots in various stores where we've uh, closed off some of the retail footage and made it into a manual fulfillment centers uh, in on the retail floor with a you know a makeshift wall set up uh, between our core retail area with our customers and our staff and colleagues who are fulfilling the orders to try to minimize the, the conflict. Because one of the things that uh, you know, those of us who do in-store pickup, and that being you know, Target's a great example of that in the US, you have to be very cognizant of the conflict of your staff, your colleagues fulfilling orders while your own customers, as Matt was talking about, your customers in the store are your number one priority. And you have to, you have to do your best to make sure they're taken care of. Uh, and that does mean making sure that your own operations don't interfere with their retail shop. Uh, so that's that's first and foremost. Uh, we've expanded the parking spots uh, in front of the stores for the click and collect uh, pickups uh, to, to meet the demand. Uh, ours, the website, the windows of uh, pickup were able to uh, narrow down so people had more precise uh, time windows. So those are all operational changes. Makes sense. And Doug, what what are you seeing with your clients for adapting to the operational and logistical realities of, of, of pickup and delivery? Well, I mean, it's competing with you know who for for online and having that you know at least matched uh, experience and cost. You know, free, free shipping. Um, you know, f figure that out. And, and I think within the store again, there's there's a training element um, that is required for you know, the, the staff that, that maybe aren't used to, to getting those returns or deliveries and, and, you know, taking that to the, you know, to the customer. So uh, training, um, even the amount of space that's required, not in the, the back room, but in the front, right? Um, uh, how do you accommodate that? And how do you not make it look like it's a, it's a yard sale in front? when a lot of people want to go up there uh, and, and pick up their, their product, be in and out. And then, you know, two days later, come and re return it again. Um, so that's, that's the challenge. And frankly, I, I mean, the, the lockers were, uh, were all set up years ago with a lot of, of, of these retailers, but I don't know, it, it's, it's a challenge. And I, it, you know, that's a, a consumer, ex consumer expectation that's not going to go away. Yeah. And Bruce, do you guys have a locker concept that you utilize? 
yes, we do actually. Uh, in some of our lower volume stores, we do have the three temperature lockers uh, that we we allow customers to go and pick up their orders from. So that's been that's been decent to get uh, some e-commerce penetration in some of those lower volume stores for sure. Uh, yep. Yeah, the problem occurred though, and here's an interesting problem. I'm not sure if Matt saw this, but it might not have. So uh, to buy lockers during the pandemic, especially refrigerated units, was brutal because all the supermarket retailers around the world decided they needed a bunch more of these. And there are not that many manufacturers of these units. And so we ended up with these bottlenecks of supply of equipment that, uh, that and even today, shelving, for example, uh, from major uh, producers in, in the U.S. is very difficult to come by uh, for any retailer. And so you've got this dichotomy going on of, you know, we've got people doing more e-commerce, yet a lot of retailers are reconfiguring their stores and they're are replacing the equipment that's within them, uh, so much so that the vendors can't can't uh, provide the, the uh, equipment in a timely fashion. Yeah. Matt, I think you're back. Yeah, can you can you hear me? I apologize. Sound great. You look great. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to revert to the old school cell phone, so I apologize. Works. No worries. Um, so we're talking about uh, the impact of omnichannel, um, and it's been a boon for for you guys. How has that operationally been a challenge, and whether it's yeah, it's, it's, it's been somewhat of a challenge. I mean, our our store teams are constantly looking at their staffing model. Um, you know. What I was trying to allude to earlier is um, typically if you're in the store and you're an associate, the first thing you want to do is when you have someone walk in the store, meet them, greet them, see how you can help them out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty, our, our footprint's pretty small. We're, we're a 6,000 square foot box. Uh, selling floors usually around 5,000 square foot. We very generally, um, you know, we have two or three folks on the floor. And so if, if it's a busy time and, and we've got online orders coming in, those online orders can sometimes fall to the wayside. So, um, you know, and, and again, these associates who might be commission based or, or bonus based, you know, they, they want to worry about that sale on the floor while she's there, um, you know, help her complement her, her cart, get some more goods in there. Um, so it's just, you know, another challenge again to, as you spoke of, or uh, Bruce spoke of earlier, the, uh, you know, the eroding margins on for, for online pickup and all that. Um, so it's not it's nothing that we've got figured out, but uh, something that we've got a lot of smart people, a lot smarter than me looking at daily, if not hourly, trying to figure it out. And one thing we talked about in the keynote, and I've heard a couple couple times, is BOPIS may be a, a ray of hope, you know, buy online, pick up a door. Right. Because, uh, you know, the last mile is taken care of by the customer. Um, the uh, chance of a third-party message the delivery or stuff like that, uh, is mitigated and also they're in the store and, and, and potentially could increase the basket of things they buy. Are you seeing a ray of hope there with Bopis from a margin perspective uh, in your business? Yeah, we are. Um, you know, once another, another key initiative for us, and, and I think it's probably the same with every retailer now is, um, you know, customer rewards data, customer rewards members. So, you know, we, we try to, once she's in the store to pick it up, um, you know, we try to get her signed up into that program. Those, those folks are, you know, I don't know the stats, but um, customer rewards members make up 80% of our sales. Um, and again, their, their baskets have a lot higher um, pricing. They shop a lot more often. So that's kind of, you know, given up um, 
uh, you know, making up for any any lost sales or returns or margins or, or logistical costs um, over time. It's just not upfront and, and immediate. And there's and there's nothing that way like a good display, whether it's on an end cap or to go after yeah. that that ad hoc purchase when the customer may be just browsing a little bit. They didn't think about that product when they were on the computer doing their online order, but when they're in your store, they see a great a great setup and then oh okay there we go i mean every retailer wants that to happen and that's a challenge in the e-commerce space because as much as you can get targeted ads and targeted products you don't see a store right you don't really see yeah. the visual richness of a store and you know Bart, you and i talked about the experience within a store and and it's a very visually rich uh thing that is in three dimensions that has and our business has smells and sounds and all kinds of very uh, immersive uh, things to it that we we think brick and mortar, you know, we're going to see an impact of 15%, maybe 20% uh, in our business areas. But people still want to experience that. And we just need to make sure, all of us, that we're in the right spot with the right sized store. And, and the offering can be as, you know, as we were talking about with Doug, you know, that interaction of e-commerce with the physical store. Um, and that's where I want to take it is how um, how has all the trends and everything we've talked about uh, begun to influence or not influence your location strategy? Um, are you looking for a different type of real estate? Are you looking at trade areas differently where it's a superset of delivery pickup and, and in-store? Like how has the calculus uh, been evolving for you as you think about real estate go forward uh, to anybody? <laughs> uh, this is Matt. For for Calaris, for us, um, I, I don't I don't say it's a wait and see, uh, but it kind of is. Unfortunately, um, what we've been doing with a lot of our leases when they come up is, uh, you know, we'll do something short term, um, try to do you know something friendly if possible that has a sales volume kick out, and um, you know. There are certain areas and, you know, again, the Sunbelt area seems to be really nice. Um, the rural areas, which historically have been really good to us anyway, kind of lower staffing, um, you know, um, salaries, lower rents. Uh, but right now, um, more than anything, just kind of holding firm, trying to see how we get probably post Labor Day. I mean, everything you read, it should continue to see improvement or, we, should, you know, um, I guess uh, getting back, and, and again, I apologize for the technical issues. Um, the uh, the in-store experience is something that we've really been focusing on a lot. Uh, we have a new, um, some new leadership, some new folks in leadership. Some of our stores have kind of gotten tired and worn. And one of the things that we are trying to do is for for the stores that are are thriving and have always been thrivers, and we know they will continue to be. Um, we're really reinvesting a lot of the a lot of the monies that we're seeing, um, trying to get less clutter, trying to make sure, you know, um, keep our eye on the ball closer with regards to product offering. Um, maybe not have 10,000 pairs of size nine for every SKU, you know, things of that nature. Um, and again, the whole customer experience, our CMO, that's, uh, you know, I, I think Doug alluded to it earlier, experiential. We hear that word probably, you know, at least 10 times every time we get together and meet. So just to make it feel like an inviting place that uh, they want to come in safe and, uh, you know, again, good customer experience, good offering. And, and that's kind of where we're at right now. Makes 
sense. Doug or Bruce? Uh, what? Um, go ahead, go ahead, Bruce. No, go ahead, Doug. I, I was gonna. Well, if if I were if I recall, I, I feel like I'm I'm having a senior moment. But the, the question around location is that is that where is, we are? Is the cup yeah. given pick up of delivery and and, and uh, pickup uh, as a bigger part of the business? Is that changing the calculus at all for sales forecasting, market optimization, store location strategy, th those types of things? Or in, in Doug's case, is it? Excuse me, Matt's case, is it? more of a wait and see. We don't know yet. We're not ready to, to make any. Yeah. I mean, my, my simple answer is I don't think that's driving what I'm, I'm generalizing as, as the ask, which is less, you know, we, we just need less stores, um, less rent, less size, maybe less located, maybe different locations. Right. Um, and again, that's the exercise is, is what if, you know, what if I had these, 10 or what if I had eight, what if I had six, you know, what does that mean? And, um, you know, running the regression and predicting sales, you know, it's, it's less, maybe it's different locations, but it's, it's generally not right. And it's, 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 that was, that was there even, even before this COVID and change in, in behavior and, and, you know, consumer demand, um, or, or expectations, I should say around, you know, ordering and fulfillment. It, less stores um and it, it it's not driven by this this new behavior yet or this new new requirement yet i would i would modify it from our perspective here in that we're we're still have the stores maybe of a smaller size however that's where our strategy has been driven by the impact of e-commerce and you know we also run a general merchandise business and apparel business at home goods business as well within our superstores. And those are the areas that we've seen the impact from uh, the online retailers. And those are the areas that we're moving our own online uh, experience to in a, in a major way as well. Just don't need the same number of items within the store for those GM type purchases. So, so our stores will continue to evolve. We've been on this journey for about five or six years, continue to decrease in average size uh, as they go into to the market. But we do need to be with the people. And as communities grow, be they urban, suburban, or rural, we will be there with the people as they as they you know, migrate to those parts of uh, the country. You know, and it's, it's, it's worth bringing up, you know, drones are autonomous driving too, right? And so, yes, the last mile is fulfilled by the customer, but it, we're, we're probably not quite there at the tipping point where that, that, you know, those gadgets and, you know, um, altered universe stuff is, is it, it's close though. Right. And, and once that happens now, you, you've put this, you know, you still have a, you have to be within a certain net, you have a network, you, you need the network in order to f fulfill that. And if I'm a landlord and all of a sudden my retail stores can also be viewed as warehouses and the warehouse sector is so hot, you know, it's, it's something like that, that I think is just going to, you know, snap it all back and and do a different um, requirement. It's this it's this agility and us us real estate people. You know, the, I mean, leases used to be fifteen years, right? And so it's it's not necessarily as much knowing what the future is as as much I think by putting processes and and governance that allow for flexibility and agility. Makes sense. And, you know, it's a, an area I did want to jump into as a landlord side of things. Um, I think, as you mentioned in, in your opening comments, Doug, 
Um, everybody and their brother uh, was looking for a way to uh, enact alternative rent, you know, with stores being closed, how can I close my underperforming stores? And the kind of dynamic between landlord and tenant has changed um, over the last year and a half. Where do you see it now, whether it's things like altering existing stores to be able to handle more of omni-channel or whether it be renewals or lease terms, what's the dynamic going on for you in each of those, those areas? Yeah, I mean, we're all jumping for joy as occupiers and saying, okay, now the, the pendulum has swung and I'm going to kick my landlord's butt. And, and you know, if, if you're a new retailer or you're like looking to get into a new market, you know, congratulations, that's true. But, you know, that very same thing is, has created, you know, panic and that, that panic means your existing landlords are going to hang on to you, you know, even more aggressively. Um, you know, our clients that succeed and, and, you know, beating that out is are again, it's those ones that have, have really gone beyond the one-off ask of, of the, the brokerage teams or us real estate folks to, to, you know, be told what to do site by site, you know, when they can, when they, when there's someone and it doesn't have to be the real estate department, um, could be market planning, could be corporate development who have crystallized a longer term vision, that's when we can start to go to the landlord with confidence and say, well, I need to get out of these three, but I'm going to give you two, you know, and I'm, and, and here's what it is, but it just doesn't seem like that, that, that powerful, um, you know, horse trading is, is possible often enough. Um, so in summary, yes, it's a good time to, to be an occupier, but only, you know, ten, tends to be what I'm seeing is the existing um, situations are really difficult to, to, um, to, get, to get out of. Um, you, you have to give a lot in return. There, there's no like, well, we're, we've known you a long time, so we're going we're gonna to help you out here. The landlords are not saying that. They're even, you know, they're, they're even more desperate and they need something in return. You know, they, they, need, uh, they have shareholders and, and all of that. So that's, that's what we're seeing, unfortunately. You're a little different, right? In your situation, in your segment, if you will. You're talking to me about you're a little bit uh, muddled there. So, uh, Doug, you could, I couldn't say it better than you just said it. So, as an anchor tenant, you uh, you know they're going to hold on to the the major retailers in in a big way, and there is nothing in the real estate industry that's that's been engineered for a decline in rent. It just doesn't work that way, right? There's never been a decrease in NOI. There's never been that contemplated in the real estate sector and in retail anyways. So this, there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, the high street demand going down. And the only way you can do it is to to close the store and to threaten to close the store. That's the only action that a landlord is going to see as being impactful, the it's, it's again i can't say it better than you just said it doug in terms of it's really sticky industry and it's not engineered to decline in value by the landlords and and so could there be some wins for tenants yeah they'll be small but the overall pressure of the industry has always been for pricing for rent increases and it take it may take more than this to change that just a couple of times, you know, hired by the the tenant, but then got involved with the landlord to actually show them, 
you know, the, the financial impact of what we were proposing, you know, so for a, a weird, you know, moment, we feel like we're working for the landlord because that's what it takes. They, they just don't quite have the, the mathematics to, or, or the presentation to go back to their, you know, shareholders or constituents and, um, you know, colleagues and say, well, this is what's being proposed and this is why it's good, good for us you know, the, the landlord, it, it, it helps. I mean, it's not always, you know, a, a magic wand, but, but to go back and help them make the case, of course, that's, that's a, that's a good move. And Matt, Matt Claris, you said you've been grooming quote, unquote, for a number of years. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, Matt, why don't you give your perspective? Yeah. Uh, I would follow, I mean, with, with what both, uh, Doug and Bruce said very similar. Um, you know, we have leases. I mean, those can't be broken, right? So, it, it, as, as much as you might want to plead with the landlord or, or whoever, um, you know, if, if you owe max amount of dollars for Y years, it's, it's very hard to break that lease. I will say, uh, recently, um, it seems more of a partnership than it's ever seemed to be in the past. Uh, um, you know, we have multiple stores with multiple landlords. So maybe, you know, again, when you're bartering and you got two for three or what have you, but um, it doesn't feel like it's so one-sided anymore. It definitely feels like it's more of a partnership. Um, and, you know, that's, I, I really, that it, it just feels better than we have in the past. Unfortunately, uh, I think Doug kind of alluded to it. People who don't deal with real estate transactions on a daily basis and they just see the headlines in, in the New York Times or whatever, you know, you've got everybody running around our office. They think that landlords are going to like basically pay us to operate. And so so it's tough. You know, you got to you got to, uh, you know, ease expectations and, and level set and let everybody know, like we're doing the best we can. But, you know, again, you have a lease. Um, it, it's hard to break. Makes sense. Well, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, we're about to wrap up here. Um, I just want to have a round robin here of, of parting comments uh, for your peers out there um, of what, you know, what are some of the things they should be focusing on first and foremost? There's a lot going on. Um, what, what are some of your thoughts uh, on that? Uh, Doug, maybe we, we wrap up starting with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it before. Uh, I've mentioned, you know, decision making governance. I mean, I, I can't tell how many times that's been the Achilles' heel. Um, you know, I think this is an opportunity to spend a little bit of time, uh, you know, engineering what that looks like. Um, you know, a little bit of policy shift, and, and for right now, for the surge of work that we have to do, but then going forward. I mean, there's there's so many stories of just we we took too long. Right. And, and I think, you know, I'll plant that new seed is, you know, process, uh, process of decision-making super important. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll, I'll go next if you want. So if you thought it was important before, it's even more important now is the way I would look at it because we just jumped ahead three to five years with respect to the impact of e-commerce with respect to consumer change and demand. So, that would be my uh, my my takeaway for everybody. And Matt, yeah, I mean, very similar to what Bruce just said. Um, you know, just uh, we only have. I mean, personally, in, in my in my uh, you know business, we we only get 
you know, 10 or so chances a, a year to open a new store. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the information, there's so much out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, kind of knowing your core business, um, realizing how it performed pre and post pandemic, uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like it's all that much, um, you know, too much different. There's not a whole lot of differentiation other than for us, obviously the online, but I think, I think the one thing we've learned is brick and mortar is not going away. Um, you've got all these online players coming on, they're bringing on brick and mortar. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be here to stay and, and just, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there make sure you, you analyze and use it wisely. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for joining us, uh, both on the panel and attendees. So Doug, appreciate it, Bruce and Matt. Good luck with your businesses uh, moving forward. It sounds like you're well positioned to succeed. So thanks again. Thanks for listening to this session from Tango's Location is Everything Summit. For more sessions from the summit, check out the show notes for details. See you next time.